This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, back here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And Well, we're not exactly where we hope to be in terms of uh, this baseball season getting underway, but uh, in a sense, we, we are where we expected to be in that uh, Jim and Jonathan, you guys are headed off to spring training soon. In fact, well, Jonathan, you're already there. And, right, uh, I am indeed. First first day of camp for me uh, today in sunshiny Florida. Yeah, coming to us live from, what, where are you right now? I, Tampa? I mean, well, yes, we'll call it, we'll call it Tampa. Okay. Yes, Tampa. Jonathan is on his exact location known for some reason, apparently. So, yeah, uh, and then Jim uh, headed to, I don't I don't have our calendar, our schedule in front of me. You're headed I'm to. I'm a couple weeks away. Arizona? Yes. Only, right? And then uh, Sam Dykstra going to be doing a stint in Florida and Arizona. So we are going to hit each uh, spring training camp and bring you a prospecty spring training report for all 30 teams uh, over the course of this month. So be on the lookout for those. Um, and as we said, Jonathan started us off in Yankees camp and an interview with Yankees director of player development Kevin Reese going to talk about Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, Austin Wells, some of the early standouts at Yankees camp. Um, and then we are going to look ahead to the 2022 minor league season because we know that is getting underway as scheduled opening day uh, for AAA on April 5th. And then a few days later, the rest of the levels join in the fun um, and we're getting ready for that. And we're going to look ahead at some prospects who have something to prove in 2022. Or if you want to put it a little more gently, guys, we think will rebound, poised to rebound in 2022 or aiming to rebound in 2022. Is that more like it? Yeah, I think aiming doesn't imply that they're definitely going to bounce back. Jim, you you suggested a, a faith meter. We could. <laughs> yeah, we could. We we could we could spark some outrage and like how much we believe each of the players uh, on here. Like you know, because we do our thirty you know thirty team story, one for each team. And I don't. I'm not going to single anybody out, but there's. I, I think there's at least one to ten guys I wrote up that I would. I have like kind of a one or two would be my faith in him bouncing wow. back. But well, let, me, let me see if I can uh, let me see if I can dust off the old faith meter and, and get that working for that segment. Uh, some cool sound effects with that. Yeah, Ryan, we need some faith meter sound effects. Um, it will not be a guy I'm talking about in that segment, however. So I, I have faith in the two guys I will be discussing. So that's that's better. All right, um, we are going to talk a little bit about draft prospects, the college baseball season. We'll talk 
Tommy Tanks, the story of college baseball so far in the early going, guys? The I think story? it's fair to say. Yep. Sure. Tommy White. national attention. Yeah. And then uh, coming up this weekend, we have the Shriners Children's College Classic in Houston, which is loaded with uh, some of the best teams in the nation and a handful of uh, top 100 draft prospects. So we'll preview that as well. And we'll wrap up, as we always do, by answering a question from the mailbag. Uh, so Jonathan in or around, we think he won't tell us Tampa. Um, you had a chance to speak to, uh, Kevin Reese, uh, farm director of the Yankees. Um, you are, are headed. How, how long are you, uh, in Florida for this, this trip? 10 camps in 10 days, 10 camps in 10 days. And you have, so tell us a little bit about what's, you know, what you're doing when you're there and what this is going to, uh, what this is going to generate for the folks to see on. Sure. Uh, uh, I think we started this a few years ago. Um, you know, when we would kind of piggyback on the MLB networks, 30 camps in, in 30 days and do some prospect segments with them. And then we would, you know, kind of get to go hit our, our favorite people on, on the minor league side of, of camps and, uh, get a chance to talk to the farm director, you know, get an overview of how camp is going, you know, get some uh, ideas on people who've stood out, uh, you know, across the board, um, any themes that, that are running. Um, and then also, you know, do a, do a Q and a with a, a prospect in, in each camp. Um, so, you know, started today as we record on you know, Thursday with, with Yankees camp and I'll make my way down the the West coast of Florida and finish up with the, the twins and Red Sox and in, in Fort Myers when, when all is said and done. And it's, it's a great opportunity because listen, we talk to farm directors mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and I think the two things that happen is, you know, we split up which teams we do for top 30 lists, but we can't really arrange the spring training schedule to only see the teams that we do. So it's a chance to actually, talk to farm directors that we don't spend as much time with. You know, for instance, I don't do the Yankees list. Jim does. Uh, so getting to, to sit down with Kevin Reese, it was nice you know, for me. And then, you know, getting FaceTime with the prospects as well. Uh, there are no games going on yet this week. By the time Jim goes to Arizona, there'll be minor league games to, to watch. So there were just workouts uh, today, some live BPs, thing, things like that. Um, it's just exciting to, you know, be out in the warm sunshine watching baseball activities. Um, so that that's fine. Um, you know, the games uh, by and large, I think are starting across the board at some point in mid-March. And you are uh, starting off big hitting the Yankees, Tigers, Blue Jays. So you're going to, you know, we've got what, probably four of the top 10 ish prospects in the game. Uh, in those camps and Jason Dominguez as well. Pretty uh, exciting start to your trip. Yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty good. Uh, saw Jason Dominguez take a few swings uh, today. He's, he's very strong. Uh, Anthony Volpe uh, actually tweeted out a little video of him uh, taking some BP off of a machine, getting, you know, getting some early work. Um, yeah. So, and that, that was fun. Cause I, I, I've actually not seen Anthony Volpe swing a bat since, he and Del Barton prep came with Jack Leiter to be in the NHSI uh, a few years ago. So like, uh, th- so that was nice to, to, to see him. And, you know, he was a, 
a scrawny 17 year old, I think at the, at the time awaiting his senior year. And he is, uh, definitely not a, a kid anymore. And, uh, I know they're, they're very excited about, uh, about him in Yankee land based on what he did last year. All right, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear what Kevin Reese has to say about Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, Austin Wells, and some other guys at Yankees camp. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Kevin, let's just start with, um, you know, maybe I'll start specific on a few guys and then we can sort of run it out a little bit. But, I mean, I think the guy that everyone is buzzing about, obviously, is Anthony Volpe. Um, can you see, you know, a difference in him just from having that year of success? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about him, and I know you spoke with him a couple of years ago, and just seeing uh, – Seeing him mature, I think that's one of the best parts of this job is seeing guys come in, whether it's out of high school or college or, you know, coming from the Latin American countries where you see a kid and then one day you see a man. And, and I think that that's, that's, that happened during this past season. Um, you know, I think even, even first-round picks uh, walk in and, and it's, it's a different environment. You know, you're not playing against high school kids anymore. You're playing against 24, 25, 26-year-olds. You're competing against major league guys sometimes. And, and uh, so there, there might be some doubt that creeps in there at some point, but he showed that uh, exactly where he belongs and, and I think opened a lot of eyes throughout the game. But um, very mature guy, both on and off the field, the way he goes about his work, all those things, you know, they, they really jump out to you when you watch him work. For a kid who played at a like a small prep school in New Jersey. I mean, like I used to play against that school in, in high school. Has, has he been better, faster than people expected? Um, I, I think it just depends on who you're asking. If you ask our amateur scouting department, like they, they saw it all along. You know, you, you, I think those guys really get to know the player and, and again, know that work ethic and, and you know, the family that he came from and, and things like that. So I, I don't think it surprises them. Um, I think the, the power came around a little bit quicker than we expected um, last year. His body's matured physically. He's stronger than he was a couple years ago. I think he really took advantage of the 2020, you know, the downtime. And, and uh, those guys, it really, it really showed up. That was a sort of more general question, and I'll, I'll put that in now, just in terms of, you know, I've been saying kind of as I've talked to other farm directors and things like that, I think it's really individual for almost each player what that 2020 did um for anthony because you just don't know who's going to show up right whether it was instructs at 2020 or whatever right. whenever you had laid eyes on him uh, clearly he just got to work um and it translated to on the field performance um as a farm director like coming out of that was it hard just to sort of get a sense of who was where um I, I give a ton of credit to our coaches and our coordinating staff because they, you know, teamed up each player with a coach. Uh, we did everything we could, whether it was Zoom meetings, whether it was exchanging video back and forth, uh, you know, to make sure guys were on the right track. But at the end of the day, it was really up to that player to kind of control uh, what they were doing and you know, how they, what they were doing, you know, with regard to nutrition in the weight room uh, and, and on the field. So. 
I think we did a nice job of that. Um, and, and by we, I say our players and our staff to kind of keep on top of things and, and give guys objectives and things to work on without having the games to guide them. Uh, in some ways, I think that was a benefit because, you know, when as, as a former player, it was really hard to work on things in season. You know, you're just like, hey, I'm competing every night. It's do or die. And, you know, you, you can talk about or you can do some things in BP, you can talk about it in pregame, but when, when the light goes on, you're just in survival mode. And, um, and so I think that was advantageous to some guys to be able to really focus in on certain objectives and things that they were working on and then take it into games a year later. I think after Volpe, the guy that most people probably want to talk about is Jason Dominguez. And um, it's been interesting to see, like, so he first shows up and he's Superman, right? He, he could do everything. And then he doesn't dominate every at-bat, every inning. And suddenly, like, the, I don't want to say a star is faded because that's unfair, but it, it does seem that people kind of backed off that the Superman thing. You know, I know I've seen some reports and stories that he, you know, he's coming to camp, he's big, strong. I mean, all the things that he did. Like, what did you see with how he dealt with last year? Because one of the things I've heard about him is yes, the tools are ridiculous, but also his his makeup and how he goes about it is really good. So maybe the little bit of scuffling was good for him. Yeah, you know, I I, I can't put myself in the shoes of somebody that's you know at the age of 14, 15, 16 has you know YouTube followers and Twitter followers and everybody's talked about him these nicknames and and in comparisons and things like that. But I think it's it's. Uh, the people that he surrounded himself with, whether it's his agency, whether it's you know some of the kids that he hangs out with, I think have helped him to, to handle those situations. And and I haven't seen, I've, I've, I've been around enough guys, uh, former teammates of mine, players that have come through here that you see those expectations and 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 you see it really wear on them. But I think he, he embraces it every day. I think he believes in himself. He believes in his work. Some guys just rely on like, oh, it's just gonna, it's gonna shake out. But I think he, he goes out every day and says, I'm going to try to get better. Um, so, so I haven't seen that where it looks like it's, it's affecting him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there was anything. I, I think even if he would have gone out and had the same year that Anthony Volpe had, people would have been like, oh, well, but he only got to high A. You know, he didn't get to the big leagues. Like, he's supposed to be there already. So the expectations were, I think, a little out of control from the beginning. And, um, and our goal is to have, you know, guys have successful big league careers. And sometimes that takes some speed bumps, and it sometimes uh, it, it takes some twists and turns and some adjustments that need to be made. So, so I think it was probably good for him to have a little bit of uh, of a challenging season where now he might embrace some things that we were trying to present to him a little a little quicker. And, and so far, so good in 2022. What's what's something about him that's surprised you? I mean, because there's so like everyone's talked about, and you know, I like to tease Jim Callis, who I know you've talked to a lot, because he's not one for hyperbole. But he's reporting what multiple scouts said and throwing, like, these ridiculous, you know, Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout, you know, whatever you want to say. Like, But what's something that surprised you about him since, since he's been here? Um, I, I, I don't know if it surprises me that much, but just his competitiveness. And, and that even goes on to the fact that he stood right here a couple days ago and did an interview in English. Like... They compete in English class. They compete, you know, in the weight room. They compete on the bases. They compete in batting practice. Um, and just, you know, I mean, it's, it's a 
it's a personality that like you're drawn towards. He's smiling most of the time. He's joking with guys. I think sometimes as a as a player, like if I was a 27th round draft pick, like I walk around the first round or the the guy who signs for five million bucks, you're a little bit intimidated. But he brings he brings everybody in and brings everybody together. Now that is a good. I think that probably speaks to his ability to handle all that hype. Like you said, the other guys that initially would show up and be like, "All right, I've got this figured out," and then the second they hit that bump, the wheels come off. Yeah, sure. Um, want to ask you about Austin Wells? Um, I saw him in the fall league. Uh, you know, for a guy coming off of a full year of catching everything, the fact that he had anything left in the tank was pretty impressive. Um, you know, the the bat obviously, I think, is going to get him to the big leagues. Um, where is he defensively in your eyes? He made some major improvements. Um, you know, from when he walked through the door to the end of the season last year and the end of the fall league. Um, if you ask our catching coordinator, like. Who's, who's been working and you know who who's made the most improvement I think he's the he's the first name that comes up uh, and that improvement has gotten him to where we think he's you know a solid receiver you know even at the big league level his arm strength has improved to the point where it fits in at the big league level um, we don't really have concerns on the on the catching side uh, like some people who I've, I've, I've read you know different things about and whatnot so um, I joke with him because like if you look at him, if you saw him walking through the mall, you'd be like, that's a baseball player. Like, he just looks like a baseball player. Um, and, and I think, you know, whether it's the way he wears his uniform, but, but also the way, you know, he wears whatever and just, like, his presence, you just think, man, that guy, you know, whether it's in the cage, working behind the plate, um, you know, and, and again, like, the environment that, that our staff has created here where it's very competitive between each other, like, you know that Austin Wells is competing with Anto- against Antonio Gomez, but they compete together and they push each other, and, and I've, there's been a lot of good compliments from the other catchers as well as the way he goes about it. Um, there was a, an at-bat he had in the fall league that really kind of spoke to who he is as a hitter. I mean, he hit a huge homer to, I don't know if it, it got them to get a chance to play for the championship. If I, I don't remember if I have the timing right, but basically one of the coaches told him that whoever was pitching likes to throw a first pitch slider or first pitch changeup, but I don't remember the exact. It was a secondary, so he looked for it and he hit it, I don't know, 430 feet and hit it out. So to me, like, there's one thing to hear that information. It's another thing to actually process it and put it to use almost instantaneously. I mean, that kind of sums up what he's able to do at the plate, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of times when people some some scouts or coaches don't necessarily know when they, when they say this guy's an advanced hitter like that can mean different things to different people but that what you just described is is what that means to me like somebody who can go okay like I know what this guy's trying to do I know what his strengths are he might know what my weaknesses are but I can still take advantage of it in, in, in certain counts or or uh, in certain situations so guys that can do damage on both fastballs and off-speed pitches guys who can you know, take advantage of mistakes, even if it's a quality pitch uh, in, in a bad spot for the pitcher. Uh, those are the types of things that I think make an advanced hitter, and, and that's Austin. Um, let me open it back up. If you remember, you know, we, we do um, in our spring training report just uh, a section on camp standouts. Um, you know, so maybe beyond the sort of those those big three, because we've, we've kind of discussed them now. If Anthony Volpe is clearly head and shoulders then that that's fine but like you know chance to shine a light on maybe some other guys who have really shown up and you know at least in this early going uh you know while we're talking here you haven't started any games yet or anything like that but like who's who's really stood out to you yeah so we we mostly have a, a a lot of we have a camp going on in the dr right now as well so a lot of our um drafted players are here right now 
Um, Will Warren is a pitcher from last year's draft who's looked really good. Uh, the guys who I think made some huge strides last year, Hayden Wesneski, Ken Waldachuk, they've looked awesome. Um, can you can you like dig in a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Waldy's kind of when I think most people that saw him last year would say, hey, he's got a he's got a big fastball, breaking ball's decent. Uh, may need to develop a third pitch in order to be a starter. He showed one of the best changeups out here, uh, competing against our our, our own hitters. But um, that was like for me a wow moment like okay like that's that's what he needs to make that next step and, he, and he's working on it and, it and it looked like a really good pitch and a pitch that can help him you know attack right-handed hitters in the future um Wesneski's just a really good competitor his velocity continues to trend up he's got like a five pitch mix and uh and I think that's going to bode well for he, he sniffed triple a towards the end of the season and, and will look good going into this season um Will Warren's velo has really trend. I mean he had some velo in college but continue to trend up and working on some secondary stuff and you know we we get the opportunity in these situations to talk to the hitters like hey who's the toughest guy you face so far and that's that's a name that continues to jump out uh, on the position player side a couple guys from recent drafts uh, Elijah Dunham who you probably saw in the fall league as well um, another guy that's just like man that guy's a baseball player but he could also look like a football player or whatever he's kind of a warrior type guy that, that gives a hundred percent effort all the time he came in in really good shape yeah I liked him in the uh, fall he's running well he had a t- like, I want to say he got caught stealing like once in 25 or 30 attempts last year, like over the fall league and the regular season. Really, really impressive uh, in that regard because we thought, hey, this is a, probably a corner guy that's just going to thump a little bit. So that was a, a bonus. Uh, Cooper Bowman from uh, from last year's draft. Trey Sweeney looks really good. Um, another guy, like we, we do all kinds of uh, different defensive drills that uh that challenge your range and challenge your ability to make throws from tough positions and things like that and both those guys excel in those drills um oh that's good good i think i'm thinking like i may start talking about the hitters and they're like oh yeah there are pitchers here too tell me a little bit about the camp in the dr like who's what's going on there similarly you know we're just trying to get guys ready for spring training like it's funny because you know back in the day it was always like all right, guys are just going to show up on, you know, March 5th or whatever, and, like, hopefully they're in shape, hopefully they're whatever. You know, now we're we're starting to ramp up particular pitchers a little bit earlier, um, and, and we, you know, we try to look at development as a year-round an opportunity more so than just, like, hey, let's get them for the season and see what happens. Um, so it's very similar. Uh, I know you haven't seen too much out here, but, you know, we got, we got hitters working. We got some defensive stuff going on in the mornings. We got pitchers rolling out. We'll have some live BPs and some we've already started some inner squads. So um, it's, it's a very similar camp. You know, we have a, a full allotment of staff down there. And um, and then those guys will roll up. Uh, I think actually they fly tomorrow with kind of physicals and stuff going over the weekend. And Monday we'll be kicking off. You getting any reports on guys from down there who like were like, whoa, all right, maybe this guy's going to take a, a bigger step forward than because that's a, especially in age that age like. You talk about guys who sh- you're their kids and then they're men. Like that teenage, 17, 18, whatever. Like that can happen overnight. All it seems. Yeah, I mean, uh, Arius is the guy that, that everybody's talking about. You know, just I think some guys come in in 16 and you're like, oh, that's a kid. And some guys come in in 16, like like a Jason, and like oh, that's a man's body. You know, and, and Arius looks like a, a physical guy that can do a little bit of everything on the field. Um, I'm trying to think of who else has been. Uh, we can dig into Arias a little bit more. People probably want to hear about him. Yeah. Um, 
defensively, uh, a, a guy with big range and you know a, a huge arm. That's probably one of the things that really jumps out about him. Uh, offensively, showing you know, again for a 16-year-old guy, a guy that can use the whole field and, and drive the ball for power. So um, I don't know. You know that, that's what you're looking for, when yeah, you, especially yeah. when you get a young kid. Yeah, so. seriously. Who's a guy, and maybe maybe it's Arias, like a prospect that isn't on the radar as much, which is hard in the New York market, I understand, but like, but who we're going to be talking about in 2023 or 2024? Give me a second. To think. Yeah, no, think about it. I mean, it's in some ways, it's like who's going to be Anthony Volpe, who like everyone's like, hey, he was a first rounder, but it, that surprised some people, and it can be a draft guy, it can be a guy in the DR. I think Antonio Gomez has a chance to be that guy. I mean, he's he's got some some prospect uh, buzz going already, but um, I, I watch Gary Sanchez come through here, and this guy throws as well as Gary. Uh, really good body, takes care of himself, shows some power. You know, ha- had some success at, at Low A last year, uh, and is a guy that we look to kind of continue to make that stride and might be able to, to jump a level or two as we go into the season. Uh, We've done we've done a nice shot. Like last year, my answer to that question was probably Hayden Wesneski, and and you know he started in in high A last year, performed really really well there, then did well in Double A and ended up in Triple A. And I mean, I think that we we always look for those you know those top picks that show up and and look like top picks, but but uh, I think especially I mean probably more so so far on the pitching side, we've had a lot of guys that were low level draft picks or or you know lower money signs internationally that have, have been able to make some big jumps and right. have some success. Um, tell me about Gomez's is the, the offensive side. We talked about the catching. But yeah. Um, I mean, high-end exit velo, uh, quality at bats versus, versus both left and right. You know, always working on making better swing decisions, always working on making more contact, but but huge impact. And I think I think he hasn't really filled into his man body yet. Uh, but but it's it's a it's a good body and, and something that we think we can add more muscle to. Last one for you, and, and maybe this is tough, you know, tougher for a, for a farm director to answer. But sometimes we'll put in a uh, who has something to prove. Um, you know, it could be it could be as simple as a guy coming off of injury, but maybe it's someone who scuffled or started to figure something out in the last month, and you want to see how it carries over. You know, you could, it's kind of open ended in that way. Uh, uh, one name that jumps out on that front is uh, is Matt Sauer. He was a second round pick, had some injury stuff, and, and came back last year and kind of showed the big the big stuff, but didn't necessarily put it all together. Uh, he's made some strides early on, and you know, working on a secondary pitch to go with the with the big velo that he's got. Um, his slider looks like it's improved quite a bit. So I, that's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if you know. Depending on where he starts, he moves up a level or two as we go because because it's all in there. Great. My thanks again to Kevin Reese for spending some time with me in Yankees minor league camp today. Jim, you do the Yankees list. You know, one of the things that I, you know, I thought was interesting, as much attention as those big bats get, like Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez, kind of intriguing – hearing about the sort of later round big arm pitchers who seem to all be taking significant steps forward. Yeah, no, I mean, they've done a really good job in the draft. I mean, I I think a lot of their more 
famous pitchers in the past have been their international prospects, but you get a guy like Ken Waldachuk in the fifth round a couple years ago, Hayden Wisniewski in the sixth round. Both those guys are, you know, right there. You know, you can make a case for either one of them being the best pitching prospect in the system. Um, Kevin mentioned like kind of everybody's, everybody's, I think, favorite, favorite sleeper in the organization is a kid named Will Warren, who they got in the later rounds of last year's draft, who's added 15 or 20 pounds and he's already touching 98, but the Yankees, the Yankees, you know, scout department led by Damon Oppenheimer have done a really good job of uh, finding pitchers like that. And I'll admit, I chuckled, Jonathan, when you, uh, when you asked Kevin about, you know, whether people saw this compliment coming with Anthony Volpe or if he got, you know, he was better quicker than people thought. And, uh, and Kevin said, well, you know, our amateur scouting department believed this all along. And, and that is true because at the, at the scouting combine last year, Damon Oppenheimer good naturedly was giving me a hard time for being, you know, that, that we did not have Anthony Volpe in our top 100 at that point. And he, he's like, I'm telling you, he's a better prospect and they asked people around, he's a better prospect than Jason Dominguez. I was like, like, really, he's that much better this quick? And and Damon was insisting that was the case and, and proved to be correct. All right, our thanks to Kevin Reese for joining us. And we are going to take a quick break, come back and look at some prospects who have something to prove this season. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are just about a month away from the minor league baseball season, which is very exciting. Um, now, this week, we are working on a story. It may be up by the time you listen to this. Uh, a story on a prospect from each team who has something to prove this year or uh, who is aiming to bounce back. Um, so guys, these are, uh, as you put your list of names together, which, which sort of categories did these guys mostly fall into in terms of why they're on this list? It seemed to me like it was, if I was going to put most of them into two buckets, it would be injured pitchers and disappointing hitters. Um, it was, it seemed like that was the vast majority of mine. I had a, I had a, you know, I guess one disappointing pitcher, but most of my guys fell into one of those two categories. How about, how about you, John? Yeah, I was going to say injured guys, you know, to, to broaden it because I did have a couple of uh, hitters who were coming off of injuries also, but I, I think that's, I have, I think I had more disappointing hitters than anything else. All right. Well, that's, that's fitting because uh, Jim, you're going to talk about two pitchers. And Jonathan, you're going to talk about two hitters. Um, Jim, let's let's continue our Yankee theme here for just a just a bit, a little yeah, more yeah. Yankee talk. Yeah, TJ Sikama, uh, you know, left-hander in the Yankee system. He was a supplemental first-round pick in 2019 when he led the SEC and ranked third in the nation in ERA at Missouri. Yet another 
potential big league pitcher out of Missouri. And I had area scouts love this guy. They thought he had some of the best feel for pitching and best makeup in the entire draft. And, you know, he went, came into pro ball, you know, didn't have a pitch hole lot, but, you know, 11 pretty dominant innings in the New York Penn League, which now no, no longer exists, but was short season level at the time. And he hasn't pitched since then between the, the pandemic layoff. And then last year, he just had shoulder issues that they, they played very cautiously. He um, hasn't pitched at all in, in the last two years, but he's healthy now. Um, he's gotten a better shape. His, his girlfriend is a nutritionist. So that I guess always, uh, always helps. And, you know, I mean, he's a guy who can vary his arm angle and the shape of his pitches and the velocity on the pitches. And, and, you know, before he got hurt and kind of disappeared for two years, or at least from game action, the Yankees officials were kind of likening him to like a lefty version of El Duque. Um, and he's just very, very confident. You know, he, he's, you know, he's not a soft tosser, but he, you know, he'll sit, you know, low nineties most of the time. Um, but he just goes after hitters and, and puts the ball where he wants and attacks them. And, you know, the Yankees think that this is a guy who could move, you know, they, they thought when they drafted him, he was going to move very quickly. And now that he's healthy again, he, he could start to do that. All right, Jonathan hit us with uh, an outfielder who is looking to prove something this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jordan Adams of the angels is, is a guy who I think fits this category really, uh, really well uh you know super athletic could have played college football um had he wanted to uh you know snuck up on some people as as a first round pick and the thing that was interesting is that there was an expectation uh because he had not faced a ton of top competition that he would struggle when he first got into pro ball and what was encouraging is that in 2019 you know he got challenged and went to full season ball and held his own Had a really good approach at the plate drew a bunch of walks uh you know he's, he's got plus you know top of the scale kind of speed he was learning how to use it he was turning into a good center fielder and then the the 2020 shutdown happened and that hurt him you know because i i think he was a guy who probably you know just needs reps uh, a lot of them and came back in 2021 and just lost his approach, became a lot more free swinging, you know, 116 strikeouts against 28 walks. Um, you know, the, the gains he was making in terms of tapping into some raw power weren't there, still ran the base as well and, and was a plus defender in center. So I think this is a year that he needs to really um, kind of get back to that approach, getting on base, uh, and I think, you know, the other things may come to the fore, but, it, you know, he's still super young, right? So I'm not too worried about him. Uh, he, you know, he, he'll he be 22 for all of this season. So uh, there's time for him to right the ship, but I do think that this is a year for him to show that 2019 was the foundation he can build on and not 2021. All right, before we go back to you for a right-hander, Jim, you hit a, on a left-hander to start. We forgot to get your faith meter readings on these guys. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm going to go – I'm going to go – I'll go 8 out of 10 on TJ Sikama. I, I, I could almost go higher, but, you know, no, there, there was no surgery involved. Um, you know, if he's healthy, I, I just really believe in his ability to pitch. So I will go – I will go 8 out of 10 on TJ Sikama. All right, and Jonathan, Jordan Adams? I'm going to go six out of 10. Um, 
I, th I think he has some, some tools there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I get choked up talking about Jordan Adams. Um, <laughs> he has some tools there to work with, but we, there's not a whole lot of track record to, to go on other than that 2019 season, which was good, but not great. So I'll say six out of 10. All right. Now to you, Jim, for your righty. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Ricky Venasco, the Rangers, who was really in the discussion uh, to be the Ranger. you know, is whether or not he was the Rangers' best pitching prospect before he blew out his elbow literally in the last game at the Rangers' alternate training site in 2020. So he had Tommy John surgery that September, missed last season, came back in the Instructional League, and, you know, the, the, you know, interesting development story with him even before he got hurt. You know, he was a 15th-round pick. You know, signed over slot at $200,000. It wasn't like a huge over slot bonus back in 2017. And the Rangers just loved his arm speed. Um, you know, he's throwing 88 to 92 miles an hour in high school. They thought he was going to throw a lot harder. And then his pro debut, I don't know, I'm laughing because it's not that funny. He got concussed when Sam Huff, who's got like just a cannon for an arm, hit him in the head on a throw down to second base. Um, so he, he didn't get to pitch much in 2017. But, you know, once he got going, he really broke out in 2019. It's mid-90s, up to 99. He has, like, a, a power hammer curveball when it's on. He showed that stuff again in Instructional League last year. You know, he's he's only 23 years old, but he's also only worked 83 innings in pro ball. You know, he, he needs some polish. He, you know, needs to throw more strikes, needs to work on a changeup. He's, he's making some progress with. But um, I uh, the, the faith meter very high on Ricky Venasco as well. Um, you know, I, I'd say eight out of 10 that, that he's going to get back to where he was. And, you know, I mean, we, we still need to see if he can develop some polish, um, just cause he hasn't much of a chance to pitch yet. All right. And Jonathan, another outfielder for you. Is it just me or is optimist Jim just very unsettling? Well, I mean, I do have guys on that I wrote up that I'm not going to name. I told you there's one of these guys that I would give a one out of 10 faith meter to right. that he's going to bounce back. Thank I'm you. Not gonna... I, I needed you to restore balance in the universe a little bit uh, on, on the podcast officially. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So li listeners slash readers, uh, check out that story on uh, 30 players aiming to bounce back next year and see which of which of Jim's 10 players you think gets that one faith meter reading. It's the one that's written. I don't really believe this, but yeah, no, it doesn't. Does. See, both these guys, it was easy to have faith in because it's not that they didn't perform well last year; they right. were hurt. Um, if I'd gone with one of my non-performing bats, the the faith would have been lower than eight out of ten. Yeah, oh, there's a hint. All right, Jonathan. There you go. Um, all right, so I am going to a non-performing bat, and that's Austin Hendrick, who's the Reds' first rounder from 2020. Uh, from my neck of the woods in, in Pittsburgh, uh, kind of mercurial, uh, even as a, as an amateur, I think we talked about this, you know, in, in the past, you know, leading up to that draft, even the summer before he was in the PDP league. And I think, you know, Jim did the first stretch of the PDP league. And if you, that was the only time you ever saw Austin Hendrick, you may have thought he was, should be the number one pick, you know, in the draft because he, you couldn't get him out and everything he hit was hard. And then I saw him the second part and he tinkered with the swing and he, I don't, I think he had one hit, you know, in the, in the time that I was down there. So there's a ridiculous amount of raw power, tremendous bat speed. Um, he can hit the ball out anywhere. And I think what happened is, uh, you know, he got sent out to, to full season ball, dealt with some injuries. Um, we only played 63 games 
and then but never just never got himself going uh you know, did draw some walks uh, but struck out a lot a lot 100 strikeouts in 266 plate appearances um so i think basically what happened is he was a guy who just uh too much tried to sell out for power. Um, you know, he, he, he needed the reps. He could have used that first summer of, of, you know, Arizona complex ball or whatever had, had that been a thing back in 2020. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of just was going for launch angle and, and pulling the ball too much. And this is a guy who can hit the ball out anywhere. And so if he can go back to just letting his power come naturally, because he is very strong, he does not need to sell out for power. I think there's always going to be swing and miss, but uh, I think he needs to come out this year and and kind of prove that he can find an approach and stick with it and just let the, the power come. All right. So keep an eye out for our story on MLB pipeline on one player from each team that fits this bill that's looking to bounce back in 2022. All right. We want to uh, change focus here a little bit on the MLB pipeline podcast. We're going to talk some college baseball, some draft prospects. Uh, We're into the season now. And as we said earlier in the show, probably the story so far uh, so much so that it's uh, you know, it by only two words, Tommy tanks, uh, Tommy white homering, where are we now? He, he homered in, he homered nine times in his first eight games, uh, which I believe was what through actually through nine in his weekend? first seven. Cause he went homerless this week in his midweek game, but he, so he has nine homers in eight games and he's batting five eighty eight with 29 RBI in those nine, eight games. That's uh that's not a bad start. Jim, I know you, you saw Tommy white. Now he was, uh, on our top one, our top 200 draft prospects list last year, uh, when he was I, IMG, he was number 107 on that list. And I know you saw him at the combine last year, right? Yeah, he. I don't have the combine data in front of me, but he. I, I think his exit velocities were as loud as anybody's at the combine, including the college players. Um, so he stood out. You know, he's he's kind of you know we we see this happen a lot. I mean, he's a guy who could really hit. He was at IMG Academy. He got scouted, but it's an all-bat profile for the most part. You know, he's, he's 6'1", 220. If you go to our website, um, uh, you know, and, and look at our 2021 draft rankings and Jonathan scouting report, and there's there's a picture of him at the plate, and he looks kind of like a softball. He's this burly-looking softball player, dude. Like it's not, you know, like it's not a real super athletic physique. He probably is going to wind up at first base in the long run. He hits right-handed. The right-handed hitting first base profile is probably the least desirable profile. And so what happens in a lot of cases with guys like that, unless they're just, you know, can't miss, no doubt, like just going to rake, pro teams generally say, go to school, go to college, show us what you could do. I mean, I, I mean, Jonathan, you wrote about, I mean, I, I think if he was signable for slot, he might have gone in the third or fourth round, but he wanted a seven-figure bonus. And it just, you know, when you're a right-handed hitting potential first baseman in high school, it's hard to get a seven-figure bonus at that point, and then you have to go prove it. Yeah, I think it was it was the price tag that really did. There were some teams 
that really liked the bat <clears throat> and, you know, and, and, and guys that Jim, you and I both talk to who like value their opinion when it comes to that sort of thing. So, I mean, what he's doing now is absolutely insane that he is hitting. Well, I don't think surprises would surprise too many Florida scouts. Cause even people who like, like, Oh, I don't like the bot, you know, all the, the, the question marks that Jim pointed to were, you know, were valid. Um, but people like the bat, um, you know, we'll see what he does at the next level. Um, you know, once, once he gets there, uh, but this is just a certain early indication that he is going to be, uh, a bat to really consider when he, uh, when he comes back around, uh, even if it is a first right handed first base only profile, I mean, I think he has a chance to hit enough that that's not going to matter. Jim, uh, you, you were right uh, regarding a couple of things. One, the combine and uh, Tommy White's exit philosophies there. You'd written that White had more hard hit balls, uh, 15 of them with exit velocities of at least 95 miles an hour, and the greatest average exit velocity, 98.2, uh, than anyone else there um, on that particular day. Uh, on That was on a Thursday, and then on Friday, continued to pepper the ball. Uh, during the Friday workout, average exit velocity of 98.1 miles per hour trailed only two players. You're also right about the fact that he does look like a softball player in that photo. And I, I think it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't help that he's wearing a he's wearing a hat and not a helmet in that photo. Um, I think that that's probably yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it, it's I mean, and I'm not trying to poke fun of him, but it's not, you know, like generally the guys who get paid out of high school are the guys who are more athletic and the guys who are bat only, you make them go prove, you know, you make them go put a batting helmet on and uh, go prove they can hit in college. That's like a picture from like a home run derby or something, right? I mean, yeah. 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 The beard also just adds some age. Yep. And the, and the beer in his hand. No, there's no beer in his hand. <laughs> That's no, that did not happen. Tommy white was 18 years he, old. Don't do he was, yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> there's no beer in his hand. Um, all right. Let's uh, look ahead a little bit now. We have uh, a great tournament this weekend, the Shriners, Shriners Children's College Classic in Houston. Uh, that includes Baylor, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and UCLA. That is a, a pretty stacked tournament. Um, and it also includes, what are we going to say, uh, half dozen but is, is if what do we say five or six here do we do we take out an injured player of the top 100 draft prospects who are participating yes because blade tidwell of tennessee still has shoulder issues and won't participate so you you officially can six, see yeah. six of mlb pipelines top 100 draft pot prospects for this year's draft at the shriners classic not to mention dylan cruz who we talked about in a recent podcast, you know, mm-hmm. arguably, uh, you know, he'll be in the running to be the number one overall pick next year. And he's also on LSU, but yeah, there's a, there, there's a ton of talent in this, in this tournament. And you can, you can see them. Uh, you don't have to go to Houston to see them. You can watch, uh, some games on MLB network. Also AT&T Sportsnet Southwest, uh, has regional coverage and we will be, uh, streaming those games on MLB.com and the MLB app. So keep an eye out for those, this weekend, uh, beginning on Friday, uh, games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three each. Um, so 
Guys, tell us about some of the players to keep an eye on in this one. A lot of position players, and I think, Jonathan, I think all seven of the prospects are in my domain, right? Like in my half of the draft. Yeah, I'm going to go get a sandwich. Go ahead. <laughs> but So LSU, you know, is loaded. You know, we've talked. It feels like we talk every podcast about Jacob Berry, who, who I think is the best all-around offensive performer in college baseball, transferred from Arizona uh, when his coach Jay Johnson moved from Arizona to LSU. I mean, he's a potential – you know, top of the draft type pick. Um, Kay Doty uh, is an infielder on LSU who, who could go in the first round. He's off to a tremendous start as well. He's one of the, the national leaders. I th- think he's got something crazy like 19 or 20 RBIs in, in eight games, but he, he's been off to a hot start. Most of these guys are performing really well too. Um, you've got Peyton Graham, an infielder at Oklahoma, who like Kay Doty could, could sneak into the first round. Tennessee, even with Blake Tidwell out, has a couple of outfielders of note. Jordan Beck, who's one of the better all-around athletes in the college crop, and he's making more contact in the early going this year. He's a potential first-rounder. Drew Gilbert, you know, probably more of a second or third-rounder, but like that that gamer-type center fielder. Um, and then the other top 100 prospect is Jared McKenzie of Baylor. He's off to a little bit of a slow start. It's interesting because he hit – I think he hit 389, if I remember the number correctly, in his first two seasons at Baylor and then struggled in the Cape Cod League. So guys are trying to figure him out a little bit. And, you know, we didn't mention any Longhorns, but they're the consensus number one team in the country. And they've got, you know, all kinds of talent. Trey Faltini, their shortstop's one of the best defenders in the draft. Um, He's off to a good offensive start. There are some questions about his bat. They have a lefty named Pete Hansen who doesn't light up the radar gun, but nobody ever seems to hit him. He's, he's pitched 11 shutout innings uh, so far this year with 16 strikeouts. And, and probably their best prospect on the team is a guy who'll be eligible next year who you guys probably remember and listeners probably remember I kept touting out of high school. Tanner Witt at Texas is going to be an early first-round pick next year. So uh, a ton of talent. I, uh, Jonathan, you've won Western team in here in your domain, UCLA, uh, who, who do you like uh, on the Bruins? Yeah. I mean, I just want to add two things real quickly. You mentioned Dylan Cruz who, you know, with all the, you know, Kay Dowdy and Jacob Berry are off to good starts, but Dylan Cruz is hitting 485 through his first nine games. Uh, so he is uh, certainly one to watch. And then Drew Gilbert, who was the sort of lesser guy in Tennessee as a almost 1400 ops so far. So a lot of good performance to your point, you know, there, there are a couple of good, uh, position players for UCLA. Uh, but the guy and, and uh, Jared Karras, I think has been hurt. That's Eric's son, uh, but has, you know, has a chance to say it. And Michael Curiel, who's not, uh, <clears throat> not off to a, a great start, but if he, uh, if he hits, he plays shortstop now, probably moves to third. But Max Ratchik is the guy for me that's kind of interesting. And maybe it's just because I saw him in the National High School Invitational uh, with Orange Lutheran, he's not like a, a huge stuff guy, um, you know, and he's not projectable, but boy, is he competitive. He, you know, he is a fun guy to watch. I mean, a lot of people think he's a reliever in the future, but uh, his last start, he threw five shutout innings. He, he's, he's been pretty, pretty good in his first two starts this year. He's got a really good breaking ball. Um, so he'll be fun to watch. Even if it's not a wow, this guy look, you know, he's a top of the draft kind of guy, but he's going to go right after, uh, right after hitters uh, every time he's out there. So he's the kind of the, the guy from UCLA for me. That's uh, that'll be a fun one to watch. 
I'm going to throw one more out there because I was just looking at their stats because I was, I was looking as you were speaking about Max Ratchik, how he was doing because he also performed well at the PDP League um, when I was there a couple of years yeah. ago. But, you know, last year, you know, you wrote about Thatcher Hurd, who was a potential top two rounds guy, and he wound up being unsignable and wound up going to UCLA. And I just popped the numbers up. Thatcher Hurd in his first two, I guess he's made three college appearances now. 12 innings, 25 strikeouts, two walks, four hits. So Thatcher Hurd nice. uh, looks one. like he's laying some groundwork to go very early in the draft a couple of years down the road. Jonathan, uh, you scarfed down that sandwich. Yeah, I was very hungry. What sandwich from uh, – what segue from a sandwich to an egg? And, Jim, now we have egg – Mayo. I hate eggs. I hate mayo. Like I'm, I'm done. Ah, so. uh, see now I, I feel, I feel more comfortable now. And Jim will refuse this to answer. The get off my lawn, Jim. Question. Tell us. So we have a question from Just an Egg. As we're going to wrap up with the mailbag, this comes from the handle at R Housett, uh, who's who asks, "Are we not giving Grayson Rodriguez enough hype? I've never seen grades like that on a pitcher before." And could the success of guys like him and Jameson Tyone entice more GMs to roll the dice on prep righties? I mean, I, my first instinct was to kind of get defensive because I'm like, I think we hype him. He's the only, you know, on our on our 2021 list, he's the only pitching prospect in the top 10. He's the top pitching prospect in baseball. But I, I get the point. I think that... Uh, he is a guy who he hasn't flown under the radar in futures game and obviously a top 10 prospect, but his, his, he may not get enough credit for how good his stuff is. Um, you know, referring to his, his grades, you know, six or better on three pitches with the fastball slider and change. He throws a, a, at least an average curve and he's got really good command. Um, so, you know, he, he, he is a very, uh, you know, maybe he should be more in that rarefied quote unquote special pitching prospect uh, stratosphere. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Jim, is it, can you be sort of underappreciated and be a top 10 prospect? Yeah, I, I kind of looked at it the same way. I don't feel like he's underappreciated. I was going back and looking, and I mean, in recent years, I mean, and this isn't necessarily going to inspire confidence, and we've had high school pitchers with, with plus pitches all over the place, like Mackenzie Gore and Forrest Whitley, who right now are not at the height of their powers. Um, but I, I think he is pretty well regarded. You know, he might get overshadowed a little bit, honestly, because he's in the same organization as Adley Rutschman. Mm. And when you, you can't mention, talk about the Orioles, I mean, without mentioning Adley Rutschman, so maybe he gets he loses a little bit of limelight there. But I, I feel like he's – I mean, I think he's everybody's consensus best pitching prospect in baseball, so I feel like he's pretty highly valued. And, you know, the, the, the high school, you know, t- teams rolling the dice on, on prep right-handers is part of the question. I, I don't know if it's going to change things. I mean, you, you have teams that are, you know, very leery of the injury risk with high school right-handers. I, I, now, I would say that all pitchers get hurt. Um, and so that's a risk with all of them. Maybe it's a little bit more pronounced, but it's not like high school right-handers get hurt all the time and the college right-handers stay healthy. Um, and I was just looking at, you know, if you look at some of the best pitchers in baseball last year, 
Zach Wheeler, Max Free, Lucas Giolito, just to name three. Those guys were all high school first-round picks, um, two of whom had Tommy John surgery before they got to the big leagues um, and wound up being pretty good. So I, I just – I mean, I've said this a million times. I think talent's talent, and if you think a high school right-hander is the most talented guy on your board, you should take him in the first round. And a lot of times, I think the best values in the draft are – our high school pitchers in the second round who last 20 to 30 picks more than they should just because of, of, of teams worried about the risk. But I don't, I don't think Grayson Rodriguez all by himself is necessarily going to change that. And like I said, I mean, you can look in the big leagues and see plenty of early round high school pitchers who are good and teams still are reluctant to take high school pitchers, especially righties in the first round. Yeah. I mean, the data, the data on that says don't, take a high school right-hander you don't take a high school pitching in in the first round the percentage of those guys that make it to the big leagues is lower than any other category but what i think that doesn't take into account is the point that you just made is well what about the guys who are considered first round talents but ended up going in the second third round uh instead and also the guys who like thought well i'm a first round caliber player and then they don't go, and then they go to college, and then they become the college pitchers who do better in the first round. You know, so I, I, you know that doesn't happen all that often, but it happens enough where I think there are some some caveats to that. But by and large, I agree. Like you know, one Grayson Rodriguez, you know, if you're willing to take a high school right-hander, you're going to do it anyway. Grayson Rodriguez's success is not going to suddenly push a team into taking a high school right-hander when they weren't going to. All right. Thank you for that question, Just an Egg. Thanks again to Kevin Reese for joining us today. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week.